and welcome back to We Bought a Mic, Wabam Fam, mm-hmm. a pop culture podcast, a pop culture stick to the plan cast. Execute. Don't improvise cast. Talking David Fincher's new film, The Killer. Welcome. My name's Ernest. I am human and I need to be loved. Uh, my name is uh, 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 Morrissey. Hunter. Hunter oh. Morrissey. Uh, well, you took mine. No. <laughs> hey, what? Uh, this is an old old joke of mine. What does it sound like? I, you know, I'm writing a, a sort of a, a the Morrissey style musical about uh, spices on a spice rack and like the drama they go through them. Here's here's one of the songs. I am Cuban. <laughs> oh, I'm Drew. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is uh, pod number two of the day. Mm-hmm. So we're a little looser, a little leaner, a little meaner. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Um, we- I am Cuban. <laughs> <laughs> I've been really that's working a, on my Morrissey. Great, that's a great song. Oh, no, it's a fucking banger. Yeah, man. Dude, that's the opening song, right? When he's doing the... the yeah, it's in uh, the opening death scene, and it's the way that it is kind of... Man. I'm, I'm going to say it right now. Uh, Let's get ahead of it. Johnny Marr, one of my five favorite guitarists ever. The guitarist that, on that song, that that's an all-timer. He's, a, he's fucking phenomenal, man. Like, he's a game changer. And then he joined Modest Mouse for, like, the worst of Modest Mouse. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a bummer. It's a bummer. But by side, such a heavenly way to die. Welcome. Um, We're here. I is it is it bad that like I'm I'm fully entering my 30s, so I'm just like, hey, I've been listening to a lot of the Smiths lately. Yes. Well, you, you already did the rem run uh well rem was earlier no i guess that was last year into this year rem rules for people that don't the haters that are out there the haters are trying to sabotage well i i I love to enjoy the last four month of four months of my 20s that i have so I can't dive in all the way. I need you to already. You're going to see Death Cab for Cutie, like uh, to not. bring in your 30th birthday. I you, am not. Ernest, I need you to check your email because you have tickets right now. That's your 30th birthday gift. Is that they just send them to people? I'm so scared that I won't like 100 Gex anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the clock's gonna strike midnight, and you're gonna be like, I did anything for me. I <laughs> hate them. Um. So the killer, David Fincher on Netflix right now doing very well on Netflix might I add I think it was number one um the first two weeks and has lingered in the top 10 since then I think it's on its fourth week going into its fourth week on Netflix um we talked about it briefly whenever we um lasted um a podcast about it but we didn't really get into any specifics so we're here to, to dive deep deep into David Fincher's latest film. You know what I did? I listened back to our review of Mank. Oh. <laughs> Have you changed your opinion since then? You realized that I, I was right, huh? I realized that maybe I should have watched it on 1.25 speed. Maybe I would have liked it more. <laughs> oh I just, I will say that I think that the killer would have been a better movie if Mank was in it. Uh, 
the killer never gets credit. Hey, you hey. know who got credit? Mank, because he asked for you it. You know what? He was in it. His spirit yeah. carried through. He actually is the moment. hooker at the beginning of the movie who gets killed. <laughs> it's Mank. That's Mank. Yeah, if you like enhance that image. So, what did we think of the killer? Drew, do you want to go first since uh, we, we gave our preliminary thoughts uh, a couple weeks ago? We both liked it. Mm-hmm. We're both fans. I really like the killer. I thought it, I thought it was awesome. I think it it holds up well in your head because it gives you, it gives even though watching it is almost a weirdly straightforward experience, it gives you things to think about afterward. Um, it's for a Fincher at the very least, you'd call it stripped down. Um, or at least I would. You know what I mean. Yeah, it's, he's back on his bullshit. You know, he's not trying all these bells and whistles. Well, but he even, there's still a lot there. No, of course, there's a ton there. But I mean, it's stripped down in terms of like subject matter. Like we're we're following one dude. We are the the secret complexity of the movie, at least logistic wise, is we are covering a lot of activity and like geography. Um, and it's almost just like not even you know it's it's like hardly even discussed like you hardly notice how much is happening as you're watching the movie because you're being shown and not told and also you're not being taken through sorry this is this is unbearable God, this is a nightmare bring to the old mixing we should have never given this guy a soundboard this is this sucks <laughs> um what is what is the problem where you <laughs> How sensitive are those How buttons? How close is the button like, to the knob? <laughs> I just have to keep, I have to keep the volume down so that I don't fuck it up again. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so. You're saying. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. What would you tell me what I was saying? All right. So the killer I- is split into chapters. Mm-hmm. I think a really good way to talk about the the movie is chapter by chapter. Oh, well, and yeah, so that's what I was saying is because, yeah, we have this chapter structure and each chapter does is significantly different than the last one. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're covering ground, we're covering plot, but what we're not being taken on necessarily is like a giant emotional arc. Yeah. And so it doesn't a lot of the time, like, you'll like you'll blink and realize that like oh wow actually a lot has like happened you know in the last five minutes it just doesn't feel like it necessarily i think that the killer is a movie i i wish i would have had a chance to rewatch it before we just had the before we're doing this like re-examination i definitely want to rewatch it again before year end uh to kind of finalize where it's going to end up on my big list but i do think that there is like this movie is going to be one of the movies from 2023 that I will rewatch most frequently, regardless of like where it ends up on my list. Uh, because I think that there is something that is just so breezy about this. Uh, it is something about this that does feel kind of B movie, but it's like at the, the highest possible level of achievement. It's and that's a hitman movie. That's like it's an what, assassin movie. But I think that that's like where David Fincher is really in his bag is kind of elevating genre. And that's something that I mean. Oh, he's in know, his bag. So you're saying he's not in his bag when he's. Well, he's in his daddy's. About... He's in his daddy's bag. In oh. Mank, when he's talking about Mank, um, okay. which, you know, we all have daddy issues that we should go to therapy over. Probably. Um, I think that this movie is really funny. 
uh, and like a year full of directors making kind of movies trying to grapple with themselves and how they view themselves. Like the killer is the most blatant and obvious one where it is a movie about a guy who's just like exacting, make no mistakes, make sure that everything is going like perfectly. No empathy. No empathy. It's David Fincher literally like making a movie about himself and taking also what's like a pretty like schlocky book by all accounts. And then just kind of putting his, it's like a comic book on it. Um, but like, it's funny that that's just something that has come out of this year. When you think about that, you think about something that's even more sensitive, like a past lives, which is like a very like close and personal story. Uh, Oppenheimer is kind of a movie about Christopher Nolan in a lot of ways. Like it's a lot of directors really trying to make movies about themselves, uh, through their, uh, material. But the killer is, I I think, I think that a lot of people have, have said that it's more so him making fun of people's idea of him rather than how he really views himself. He's kind of poking more fun at like the the concept like the popular concept of david fincher i think there's a sense of well i think there's a sense of knowing i think he kind of knows like yeah i can be a little bit of an asshole like if you listen to him in interviews where uh, one of the best interviews that i've heard in years is uh the one where he's talking with ben affleck uh from 2020 yeah because it was right around mank time yeah it's incredible and in that he like basically is just like yeah no Ben, I was a fucking nightmare to you on the set of Gone Girl. But also, like, that that kind of sense of knowing is something that makes David Fincher, like, one of our guys. A special filmmaker. I, I think this movie is so fascinating because the main character, I does he have a name? The killer? No, no he's just, just the, killer. the killer. Um, Played by Michael Fassbender in an incredible performance. I think he's so good in this movie. Um, he has a lot of voiceover narration. Most of this movie is him just kind of narrating his internal monologue and he does it in a way where you feel like he has a a hand, a handle on what he's doing and he's very, you know, controlling of his surroundings and of his actions. And what you see him do is not, it, it doesn't quite align with that. He fucks up a lot in this movie. He makes a lot of mistakes. And I think that, if you're trying to align that to a meta comparison with David Fincher, I think that if you're trying to carry that metaphor, it is a lot of him just knowing that his perfectionism is ultimately somewhat futile Yeah, because this character, we see him do his job very well and we see him do his job very poorly as well at the same time. So I, I, I think that that meta angle can only go so far. And I think that the majority of this movie fits into just this idea of how to view this exact character that we're seeing of what Michael Fassbender is playing. And I like the idea of, of adding these meta layers to it, but I don't know if that's a hundred percent necessary in the, the, the full enjoyment. Well, of this movie. I, I think I think it adds enjoyment if you're like a movie dork person because it absolutely like I think it is intended for you to be able to read it that way. However, the average person who just turns on Netflix and puts this on, they don't need to be able to right. read it, it that way. It plays both ways. Yes. However, yeah. it it does add a layer of 
It adds a layer of humor well, to it. <laughs> like, it does, yeah, it adds a layer of humor, but also it adds a layer of substance to a movie that, as you know, as I said, is sort of sparse at times. And so it can add a, a layer of like quality in a way because I like I, I really, really like this movie, but I, I a lot of the time I was thinking about it in like that contextless world where like, well, if I didn't know everything I know about him, then I wouldn't be getting quite as much out of this movie right now because it's, more bare it's bones. not giving a ton yeah. necessarily. Um, it's it's still an enjoyable movie. It's written so yeah, it's an ad- adaptation of like a French graphic novel from like the mid two thousands, and the adaptation is done by Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven. I want to say yeah, he wrote yeah he wrote Seven back in the day, and then uh, a bunch of non Fincher stuff that's also like honestly not high quality stuff eight millimeter sleepy hollow there's i mean there's some good stuff in there but it's not like it's not like this is like a you know like a writer where you're like holy shit right it's on his and then and then this and man he has script doctor credit on the game and fight club okay so what i guess what i'm saying is i i think the the biggest enjoyment that i got out of this movie is the massive mislead that it is in terms of like how it starts versus what it is. Yeah. I think that is because I was really annoyed by the beginning of the movie. And I think that's almost on purpose. Like it, it wants you to be like everything up to him firing. Yeah. The because everything up to him fucking up. Yeah. Cause it's just a bunch of monologue about this is what I do. This <laughs> yeah. Is I mean, it's like the process and, and it's, I don't think that the writing quality is super high on that monologue stuff. To be honest, I don't think it's like top, top tier monologue writing. I don't. Um, And, you know, looking this dude up afterward, it's like, yeah, this isn't a guy who's known for writing great top tier stuff ever. I I, I think the attention, the attention is naturally drawn to that because it is just a guy staking out his target it yeah, by and, himself. and it's like, yeah, it looks great, but we're spending 10 to 15 minutes when the beginning of the movie is when, as an audience, you are really trying to key in and figure out what you're watching. I think that, well, I think that the thing about this movie, and I think that it actually feeds in really well to the over-serious monologues that are at times just like, <laughs> they're like so like eye rolling at points because it's so just like over the top and like self dramatic. It's giving like I watched the Dark Knight once kind of energy of like just um, this is so this is what like truly I'm, I'm a master at work right now. The thing that makes this movie like really work for me is that he sucks at his job. He's bad at his job. Like I are you said you see him do good at his job. I think like barely. I think for the most part, he's like constantly fucking up throughout his entire job. He definitely has a process. And so like, that's good for you that you have a process. You have your workout playlist that you listen to on your Zune. But like, he's not, he misses the shot. Um, He gives the dog like the wrong amount of drugs mm-hmm. for things. Like he's constantly doing things throughout the entire film. They're just leading you to believe that like, maybe he isn't really that great at this and like it's almost like maybe this is easy an easier job than uh you might think that this would be like or, the whole idea of being a hitman isn't this like glamorous not not glamorous glamorous isn't necessarily the right word but it, it's yeah, not like, like james bond yeah it doesn't of, it doesn't yeah. take a fucking super genius to do this it's mostly can you be at the right place at the right time uh and then 
<laughs> Otherwise, like you can kind of fumble your way through it and just hope for the best. As yeah. long as you don't like disobey the the code, whatever that is. If that's just like don't go home, don't start a family, don't do whatever. Yeah, which he, be... he even fucks that part up. Like he doesn't do mm-hmm. the one thing you're supposed to do as a hitman. No, that's be, like yeah, faceless. Exactly. That's I mean, and that's why this movie gen like as a whole works really really well for me is because like what you're seeing is really different than what you're hearing inside this guy's brain. Um, it's just a matter of how much of that is super intentional versus not in terms of like the, the writing being things that you've heard before. Um, that said, it's, it's David Fincher. He directed the fuck out of the movie. It, it looks incredible. It's, it might, it's probably like color palette wise, his darkest movie, at least in yeah. seven. Uh, Absolutely. It, it, it's super dark and very digital and it's done in such a way that you are not looking at it thinking that it's a netflix looking movie and that's it's it's hard to explain what a triumph that is that it doesn't have because he you know he also in part sort of almost invented like the netflix aesthetic of digital cards digital darkness yeah but it looks it's almost like a green tinted darkness that you see a lot in this movie uh and it looks awesome like he did a great job he he made it look good yeah i mean he his whole thing is wanting control over every single inch of the frame and you get that in this movie you understand that because it is much more of a pared down approach he has full control of everything you're seeing seeing and everything you're hearing um so why don't we why don't we kind of go chapter by chapter so you've touched on this opening chapter of him doing this extensive monologue and then fucking up his his target um i i agree with with part of your point about it being a little bit drawn out but i went into this movie like not really knowing what to expect at all i just know that it's a david fincher movie about an assassin and so you're dropped into it immediately you're with the assassin the whole time so i wasn't really like spitting my head too much about what was going to happen like i was getting the david fincher movie about the assassin right from the jump and i just found it hilarious that it's a lot of just meandering yeah monologue. a lot of waiting around <laughs> and and that carries through the bulk of the movie about how he's just dropping in these kind of false philosophical tidbits about his process and they they the way they're dropped are, are intentionally funny and and there are moments where you can't help but laugh because he comes in with his with his voiceover in a moment where it it just feels funny so it's a perfect no, setup to that i agree it's also a a complete reversal of what the entire point of narration is supposed to be which is why it's funny because like usually you're shown something and then the narration gives you more of like an idea of what's going on in that person's head. When really in this movie, what we're shown is giving us way more information about this guy than what he's saying in his head. What he's, he's actively going against what yeah. he's had multiple times where it's just like forbid empathy. And then he does something <laughs> empathetic fight only the battles you're paid to fight. And then he just like kills a guy that <laughs> he just, because yeah. he's like fully letting in, letting the emotion rule him. He's breaking his own rules that he put in place. For yeah. So it is like really intentionally like 
you know, visually it's completely subverting the the entire idea of having narration. The entire right. point of narration is And subverted. he listens to the Smiths. I That's what also gets introduced. I do think as I've been thinking about it, as a guy who's entering his Smiths era, um the whole point of him listening to the Smiths is so funny. It's like such a funny choice that's just like I'm gonna listen to like the most like serious and over dramatic. It's it's every song. Every like, song. There's just it's only the Smiths. It's the Smiths and then Trent Reznor and Akis Ross's score, which I will say the score for this movie is really yeah. really good. When he's escaping um, on the on the bike, yeah. And- Oh. The opening credit score that's like booming playing is awesome. Um, but it's it's just that. Like it is just that. Whenever the credits rolled in the theater, we laugh because there's like 12 Smith songs that are credited. <laughs> like it's 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 funny. So he fucks up the shot. Um, I thought that was a great moment. You know, he it's there's so much buildup, it's so drawn out. I think it's gotta be like what 15 minutes or something up until the point where he fires that bullet. And it's just so much buildup and he fucks it up. And I thought that was that was such a like kind of like lean forward moment where you're just like, oh, OK, here we go. This is the movie now. You, you strung me along and now you've given me a left turn and now I'm in. And I thought that was very, very effective. And then immediately we get um, into the, the getaway part. Um, of the story where he goes back to his home. Um, and that's where you start to sprinkle in some of the, the backstory. I love how this movie doesn't really give you like any major flashback sequences or exposition dumps or anything like that. You're really just in this guy's experience in this guy's head. Um, and then right after that, very quickly, you get into the next chapter where we see, um, uh, Parnell. Yeah. Charles Parnell. Um, in basically a hub of assassin, like, well, first he goes control. Back, no, first he goes to back to the Dominican Republic, right? Yeah. That's what I said. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. So he goes there. Seeds. I will say just the Dominican Republic stuff going back to this guy, just kind of being like dumb, uh, one moment in the movie that I really, really love is whenever he, his girl, his lover gets taken to the ICU, whatever. Um, and the doctor, like, <laughs> it does this like thing where they're in this hospital that like the you can tell the lights are flickering yeah. on. And then he tries to like tip the doctor like $10,000 <laughs> for like to doing a better doctor. <laughs> And she just like is like disgusted, like looks at him, just like, do you think you can just like buy your way out of whatever situation you're in? Um, there, there's little moments throughout this entire movie like that that are just, just rock. It feels they work modern. on multiple levels. It, it feels very modern. You know, you mm-hmm. you start out in the the abandoned WeWork. That's where he's staking it out. Then you go into DR with the with the hospital, and then later on, it's like the gym and the Amazon locker and yes, like there's all these, a lot of people have described it as like a movie about the gig economy. And I think that's another fascinating way to read it where we've created a system in modern capitalism for people like assassins to operate very easily. 
You know, the, the just drop the, boxes everywhere. Yeah, the self like anywhere you go. Units. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really funny because that is, you know, obviously it's one of the only things that you could not lift from the source material at all. Like there was no such thing as an app in two thousand seven or Amazon. Yeah, yeah um, and that is. Uh, at least I like I read a thing that said that that was an Andrew Kevin Walker thing. And I think that's probably at least, you know, as far as I can tell, that's my favorite thing that he added in particular to this script, because uh, like that was one of my biggest takeaways of the whole movie thematically is like it's easy to do this shit now because we don't want to interact with each other. Right. Like that's an awesome thing to sort of harp on. And it's a it's a really cool read. On the movie, and and it starts in even from the very beginning because he's in like an abandoned WeWork. Exactly, you, you see, know? you see all the specific, real world examples of how someone could yeah. do this. So it also does give me a little bit of concern as to how this movie is going to play in like five years when none of these apps like exist anymore. You know what I mean? And yeah. Like there, there's definitely a chance that like some of these things are going to look really stale, almost like how in fucking glass onion like during the part where they have masks on you're like wait what, what the fuck <laughs> well i mean that's a yeah that's a, like a a thing with any of those covid movies i mean i unfortunately i don't know if amazon or the idea of drop boxes are going anywhere i feel like if anything that might just continue to become even more prevalent except like, oh maybe that's, you can just have drones drop no off that's definitely you, like the idea of it's gonna get better and better but just the idea of like saying like we work in doordash and all those like Logo, you know all those names yeah it's gonna yeah. you're gonna be like oh wow oh that year. that was the time I well it's like i mean it's the same thing for like whenever you listen to music especially like hip-hop music and they're just like call me on my iphone and like things like that of just like things that are like super dated ringtone based songs like shit like that that's you know it's kind of dated in some kind of way but part of that is like might be a charming thing might turn you off it's so only time will tell for that charles pernell yeah, um, so I will say um, all five of these chapters are in very different locations of each other. This is some of the, like the best location work that I've seen in a movie this year where every place that they go to feels so crazy lived in. Um, it feels like they are truly there in Louisiana when he's there with Charles Parnell. You, like this is... Yeah, Where I mean, Paris at. is the opening. You know, it, it feels like he's there. Yeah. We're going to talk about. You see the video that that whole uh, scooter chases all VFX. Really? Yeah. That's <laughs> I. That's kind of insane. I I will say the the main thing, and I'm I'm skipping ahead here. We'll go back to Charles Parnell, but like when they are in Saint Petersburg, Florida. That's the thing where like David Fincher has been to Florida and he knows the way that light looks in Florida. It, it reminded me it reminded me of a, an interview that we did with a guest uh, during the Tribeca Film Festival a few years ago. Where we were talking to him about a movie that he made that was set in Tampa yeah. and kind of shooting the way that you can shoot light in Florida is unlike anywhere else in the world. And so many filmmakers, whenever you see them try to shoot Florida it looks like shit. It's like you're shooting this in Southern California. Like you don't have the humidity. <laughs> it's too dry out The there, way that yeah. like, well, the way that light refracts with this kind of like dew that's in the air when yeah, it's, it's 97 degrees, 97% humidity at all times. It just looks different than it does anywhere else on earth. And that's something that Fincher totally understands or the location scouts, whoever is that figured out this 
and how to shoot it this way. Yeah, I don't know they if they it. actually shot in Florida, but it looks fucking great. Yeah. Same with New York, with the way that they shoot New York feels very just outside the city. It, it's incredible. Um, going back to Charles Parnell, our boy is on a heater right now. Coming off of Top yeah, Gun he's, Maverick. He's kind of like the mastermind behind a lot of these these um these gig workers, these assassins. Uh tries to stay out of the the mess as much as he can, but the killer comes back knocking and he puts a fucking nail gun in his throat in his chest <laughs> which again going to uh he's bad at his job he's like he'll have three and a half minutes to tell me everything he needs to know he bleeds out and dies in 12 seconds yeah and he's like oh wow <laughs> well that's that's sort of that's one thing i do like about the movie is it it draws attention to the fact that he's bad at things in moments like that but also like you said Ernest, he is not just wholly awful like at everything like he does a lot of well, things everything leading up to that like him getting into that building you yeah know? it's he does it so well it's and incredible like, yeah and him you know in in the dominican republic finding the taxi guy that whole little arc where he kills him it's really a i love that sequence and b like he does it well um so it's not just like a bumbling idiot but it's just a guy who's just like a little bit off like he's past his prime he yeah, maybe past his prime, but also maybe just a little overconfident. You know, like, like he just thinks he can accomplish more than he actually can, and he can't account for every possible factor. Well, it's just I know I know he's an unreliable narrator, but I really do get the sense that like he has had mostly success before this. Yeah, and so when he's experiencing all this, he's like, "Oh fuck!" I was curious about like, how long how long has he been doing this for. It's got to be like a couple decades, one or two decades. Maybe. Yeah, like what What was he doing before? You know, is he like, well, like, he was a law student with Charles Parnell. That was that was the backstory there that they squeeze in. Though yeah. Charles Parnell was the, the law professor that saw a little twinkle in his eye and he was like, hey, you look like a sociopath. You're my little you're my little stinker. I don't know. There was something about. And I mean, I get that that would track just because it's Michael Fassbender, who's not exactly like spry but like i don't know there's something that felt different about him versus whenever he meets tilda swinton because tilda swinton feels like an old timer tilda swinton feels like she's been doing this for as long as she can remember she, she's almost and at the end of the of the cycle yeah. yeah she feels like somebody and i mean that i think uh that or the florida sequence are the two best parts of the movie but I, I, there's something about her and what she is in this underworld that is, you can tell that there's like, a, a, there's there's some envy that Fassbender carries against her. Just like she's just out here, just like flaunting it about living her dream life. Yeah, well, even she, though she's still living in the same world that he is. Yeah, but she also and she also has more of an a uh, probably through you know experience and age she has like an ability to sort of turn off her lizard brain assassin and just like go enjoy being Be a person being a rich lady at a yeah. restaurant which she can't do yeah like he's he is so he's open. just busy eating fucking mcdonald's at uh in paris he, yeah he's really McMuffin with no muffin yeah he, he sucks down a fucking gas station egg dude that, that was insane that is the most sociopathic material uh behavior that is I've that what you do on the way to your to the podcast every day yeah i just just <laughs> suckle down those there's a um 
<laughs> at my workplace, they have like uh, breakfast or they just have like snacks and stuff like that in the office. And they have those like gas station style eggs. And I've just seen a guy in the office um, just, just I will not name names, just like, just like inhale it in like one bite. And I'm like, that is disgusting. You should go straight to jail for doing I, that. He's just blasting the Smiths, man. <laughs> He's Probably, fine. yeah. I I genuinely thought that that was mozzarella when I saw it. I did not <laughs> think that, that was no. It's gas station. <laughs> you think they're selling gas station mozzarella balls? No. You sweet summer child. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's got to get the protein. It makes sense. It's, I mean, it's lovely. Generally speaking, it's. I I think the way that you land on this movie is gonna come down to like how okay with you are the fact that like even with all of the, you know, the tension between what we're seeing and what we're hearing with the narration and all of the little micro expression acting that Fassbender is very good at, we are not going to actually get a, a full, you know, emotional performance out of our main guy that we're following. It's very cold. Yeah, it's just yeah. going to come down to like, your average person is fully not used to seeing that ever once. You know what I mean? Like, but he's so good at it. Oh, he's really good at it. I, I don't know who else I would cast in this role because it's like you look in his eyes and you see a killer. Yeah. It, it, yeah. He's stone cold. I love everything he wears. The bucket hat. Great fits. Yeah. yeah. German tourists, I think he says. <laughs> I love the balaclavas. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love how he goes through like certain variations as he's in all these different stages of trying to kind of stay in hiding you know it's like it's it's always the same look but slightly different you know more muted more blacks more more grays um i want to dig into florida a little bit more because this the best action sequence of the year <laughs> this is incredible what yeah. happens it, he stakes out this the, it's called the brute um and the fight scene that breaks out is so well done. It's so visceral. It got so many reactions in the theater. Um, God damn Fincher. Like when he flips it on like this, it's just unreal. It's unlike anything else. Um, I thought that was incredible. It, it, it's like a little mini movie that happens in the middle of this movie. It's just this action sequence mm. with the brute, which apparently... Apparently, the brute is uh, played by this guy named Sala Baker, who played Sauron in the Lord of the Rings. Oh, Isn't wow! That nice, neat. I uh, <laughs> how like how can you look that young? I don't know. No, it's don't crazy. Know. He looks so young in this movie, but He's like forty-seven. How old is yeah. he? Yeah, he has to wait. Yeah. He's 47, so in the Lord of the Rings time, he was still he was in his twenties playing Sauron. They probably just they probably just found him in New Zealand. Yeah, because Sauron's just oh. most you know, the physical Sauron is just you like never a big, see his huge, face. Yeah. Big huge yeah. guy. Yeah. Wow. I, I love that whole sequence. Um love to see some Florida representation. Shout mm -hmm. out to GTA six it's, coming soon. <laughs> it is it is an awesome, awesome action sequence. Like it, it is so well done in every way. It goes almost, it goes almost comically long in the way that like a Jackie Chan scene goes. They're breaking mm -hmm. shit. Yeah, and yeah. they're also using a lot of props like Jackie Chan does. Like it's just, it's one of those, um, you know, kitchen sink action scenes where it's just like anything that 
that Fassbender can do to stop this fucking guy. Like, right. Whatever. And, and, and that's another instance where I think the monologue comes in at a certain point and he's trying to kind of settle himself and the brute just comes in and just interrupts it. You know, it just this force he can't, he thinks that he can handle it with his little mantras. And there's so many instances in this movie where, like I was saying earlier, you can't help but laugh because the, the, the voiceover will just come in with some random hilarious observation that he has about the world. And it's kind of a similar thing here where he's, he is trying to kind of calm himself to a certain extent with his, little internal monologue and the brute just comes in and yeah. absolutely destroys it. Um, it's great. I was very scared about the dog. I thought the dog was not going to make it. Um, I'm glad the dog made the, it. The dog doesn't was, make it. I was is, very good. We're happy for the dog. Yeah. Um, it's between this and the dollhouse sequence in John wick chapter four for like my, my oh, favorite action. The hotline movies. Miami. Yeah. For my favorite uh, uh, action sequences of the year. Both of them are just like, it's a filmmaker just like acting, like directing on the absolute apex that you can possibly do. It's it's awesome in this movie because it's a it's a release in in a way. Like you've seen some action up to that point, definitely. Like mm-hmm. he's already he's he's getting into it. But yeah, like, you see nail, yeah. But you need like a little bit of I, that's kind of the thing where it's just like you know uh, the reason why, and I don't I, I don't mean this as a negative purely because I think that John Wick does gun foo better than like pretty much anything else uh, American cinema wise. But like it's the reason why like there's a lack of there's a lack of physicality to just like people shooting each other in like a hitman style movie that doesn't have the same like visceral mm-hmm. nature of like a Jackie Chan movie where it's just dudes fucking punching each other. You sometimes just need two dudes to just hit each other a bunch. This is a new I'm inventing a new type of guy. It's a guy who is anti-gun for film purposes because it, it creates too much of a cinematic shortcut. Right. You know, it doesn't let you mm-hmm. film real action. So he's like, guns should be illegal in America. So any movie set in America, they have to fist fight. That's to use a cheese grater. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it just <laughs> yeah, they gotta they gotta get creative. <laughs> I, I would love for guns to be legal. Like I love my AR-15, but I can't. I love cinema more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey da. Um right. Please tune in again after this episode. We'll have a whole new set of things of sounds for you. The you know, there are some some pre-stocked sounds. Oh, I thought those were the ones that just came out. <laughs> it just came you bought the well, I the listeners can't see, but this isn't the shape of Stewie Griffin's head, this mixing board that you bought, so <laughs> Oh, okay, these. I like that one. Okay. Some stock. That's so long. Okay, some applause. All right. All right, we got to talk about Tilda. We've been talking. We've been potting for too long. I think. I am so fascinated by the sequence with Tilda Swinton. Um, I think it, in a lot of ways it is the core of the movie. It is kind of like the 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 nexus, like fulcrum of the movie where. Up until this point, you have a lot of buildup, a lot of action, and then he sits down at this table with Tilda Swinton, and they just kind of talk it out. Um, and I found it very fascinating. I think the thing that hit me the most 
is once they're outside, once they kind of leave the restaurant and you're building up to the moment where she's done, where he kills her. There's a couple little moments there that are very illuminating where you feel like she has the upper the upper hand or at least she feels like she has the upper hand and she might be able to get away. And there's this little dance that happens where um, very, very subtly she thinks that she can survive. And one thing that struck me is the way they're stylized. He's dressed in all black and she's dressed in all white. And what they're discussing is these two very opposing viewpoints of how they should carry out their lives, how they should go about their business and what they need to hold on to in, in, in their approach to this life of, of murder. And when you see it on screen like that, when you see her in all white, you see him in all black. I just thought that like, damn, this is Fincher just very, very clearly just showing us extremely obvious yin and yang mm-hmm. angel and death. this is what this lifestyle could do to you it, yeah the, the imagery is so obvious and i like that i i thought that the movie needed that in that moment to be like okay this is very clearly like who these people are and who they represent and I, this especially fossbender coming in as like almost like a grim reaper Mm-hmm. In this sequence, as soon as they sit down, like she knows that she's done. And the entire time she's trying to avoid it, she's trying to break out of that. And it, it, he's just this presence of doom, of death, I thought was very, very well done. I I agree. I think that there's that's one of the, one of the criticisms of this movie that including like some friends of the pod uh that I have heard is that this movie is just very simple and like that's just used that's held against this is that like, you know, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. A lot of the things and a lot of people don't really find depth in it because I think some of the things that we're saying here were even like the yin and yang is like so blatant and in your face. Like he's not hiding symbolism in a scene like this. It's very clear. The dichotomy of these two people that have the same exact profession but I think that's kind of actually a benefit of this Yeah, it movie. helps I the think, movie. I think, again, this is like what Fincher was trying to make here, especially we keep talking about him like as a filmmaker and like taking in context his entire career. But it's funny to think about this movie as like his follow-up to Mank because Mank was like his awards play. That was him like, I'm going to play in the system. I'm going to do my role as auteur filmmaker and make a black and white movie that gets lots of awards. And then I think that this was him kind of just being like, I need a reset for myself. I'm going to get back to like what I know best, which is good genre filmmaking. Do you think that, Mank is him missing the shot at the beginning. Um, no, I think Mank is. Uh, I think Mank is Tilda Swinton trying to pull the knife on him. Mm, okay. Um, I it, it's almost there. It's so close. I wonder how so close to being Citizen Kane. I wonder how many takes per shot he did in The Killer. Like, do you? I would imagine it's lower than average. <sighs> Uh, Apparently, from what I've heard, it's a lot of ADR. It's a lot of going back. Oh, he does plenty of that, but do, yeah. you, do you think that he on did, set? 
Do you think he did a lot of like 50 takes? Well, I mean, the thing is <laughs> the performers that they have here, like Tilda Swinton isn't going to make a whole big press thing about doing like 50 takes in the movie. Tilda Swinton is just like, can we do more? <laughs> I I am a freak. Oh, I'm as much of a freak about that whiskey you flight. Are. You think that whiskey flight was over? I will over. say Tilda Swinton is my fucking goals in this movie. Like this is what I aspire to be is that I go to a restaurant and they have a bottle of wine. It's your like, bottle. With my bottle. Can I get my bottle coming here? Actually, you know what? I'll have my bottle. Also, I'm going to do the whiskey flight. Tonight. This is like that is Hunter Hunter going to a Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> 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 Me pulling up into a bar Louie like, hey. <laughs> The whiskey flight, and they're put like, on, here's Buffalo Trace. Game. They have a keg just for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a keg of Mick Ultra just waiting for me. It just, it, it's not, it's not as though this movie feels slipshod in any way. It definitely doesn't. Like, it feels like very, very measured. It's just because we know so much about him. I really do wonder, like, there, there are those dynamic shots where, like, clearly many takes were taken, you know, where, like, things have to move in such an insanely perfect way for it to look so inhuman the way it does yeah um and that's his signature but i think that there i think that there's a pretty good likelihood that there are a good amount of shots in this movie that he was like you know what that's good that's all right we're like, all set i think he's just older now like he's old he's getting older he's realizing that like maybe it's not worth being a bad person to like do we do we so think we aren't gonna get another nike another lt versus a troy palomalu ad that's, are, we, are we beyond that point? That hey, why do you think they're both retired from the NFL? Oh, shit. At the ripe old age, yeah. like forty five. <laughs> they retired too early because of Fincher <laughs> overworking them. It's well, just I I don't know this because this movie is really really great. It just I think any like I think a good amount of critiques that you could have of it are legitimate because it is there is a reason that for example even a lot of its most staunch uh supporters are not giving it five stars you know there's well, a lot because because fincher has given us five stars. exactly we know yeah. what it looks yeah like. you judge him i feel like we grade fincher on a curb yeah of course we do and it's because like watching this it, like my natural thought watching it was like i need more i need a little more i here. i need just a so little more here i, I really do i want to talk about that feeling in the context of the final act because i think that that is one thing about this movie is that I don't know if I am satisfied with the ending of this movie. And that might be the point. I think that that is kind of what Fincher's getting at here is just like, in the end, it's just like some like fucking dumbass billionaire is like mm -hmm. the reason that's responsible for all this. Netflix He's like, I don't know. CEO. <laughs> I, I paid the collateral tax. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that was going to mean your whole life was going to get fucked. That, that guy's a good actor it. though. Um, I like, it's our guy. Um, what's his name from Mank? Yeah. 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 It's Mank. Arliss uh, Howard. I really enjoyed his performance, but I agree that it was like, is this the final guy? It's, I, I think, it, you know, I, and, Fincher will do this in his movies where he's just like, <laughs> I think Fight Club is the only movie where he's just like, we're going to have the big explosive ending quite literally. Otherwise, in a lot of his movies, it's like we're going to kind diffuse of everything. diffuse everything. It's like Fincher and Coen Brothers are kind of like the masters of doing yeah, that. Well, I, but I don't know if I, it's that partnered with him and his lady sipping on tequila sunrises as the sun sets like well, that together. Hold on. Let's separate. Let's separate those for a second because 
first of all, you have the confrontation with Arliss Howard with the client. That's the final chapter. And then you have what I would call the epilogue, which is him going back to Dominican Republic with his girl. Yeah. No, so you're right. Let's let's so, separate those. So so, so as you, far as Arliss Howard goes, that's Arliss Howard. That's the actor. Yeah. He's uh, just the, the client. client. I, I He's the guy who hires yeah. the the so initial generous him to kill the guy at the I actually beginning. generally liked the idea of that being a final confrontation because you get a lot of sort of built in uh, a the sort of the modernity of the movie that like this guy is the guy calling the shots that's fucking this guy's life yeah. up it's like yeah no this is just a dumb billionaire who's just like you know he's just like yeah I like I, I wanted to kill a guy and then like, yeah, it went wrong and someone told me I should have that guy killed. And so I, I had you killed. He, Sorry. It's a guy has too much money and he doesn't yeah. know what to do. And so I, like, I like the idea of that. I also like the idea that Fassbender knows that he can't kill him because it'll be a bigger headache. Exactly. For him. He's like, <laughs> which be, feeds into the yeah, whole like which, Amazon DoorDash. Yeah, of course. And they also Equinox gym and the very smartly before that, like as he's, going up in the elevator the one thing he doesn't uh get ahead of is there is he does see that the cctv in the elevator is filming him yeah so he's like oh in that moment he's like oh i guess i won't kill him then right like it, it's i don't think that it's like a you know a planned out thing i think spur of the moment he's like well i'm on this camera i mean that's kind of the whole movie is like he's convincing himself like stick to the plan but there is no there's plan. never a plan. No, the plan goes out the window the second they fuck. Yeah. The and speaking toward the fact that that's funny, like he keeps on saying, like, don't something about like, you know, don't do anything out. Of, don't improvise. Don't improvise or, you know, don't do like he the Arliss Howard thing is it does serve a purpose. And he can really easily convince himself that like going after Tilda also and like the, the muscle guy that all does have a purpose, but really it's vengeance. I mean, it's very but, much John. Yeah. Ray. Because like, not really like if he were to just kill a uh, boss man, like the assassin boss, the lawyer guy, if he just killed that guy, Parnell, yeah, the head's kind of cut off from there. Right. Yeah. It's that not is like kind of the end. Yeah. The, like yeah. Tilda isn't going to be like, no, I want to go back on my own volition. Yeah, no one's coming. And the, the billionaire is well, not going to be like, hey, I'm going to find a new assassin. Parnell, Do we not think tells him, like, dude, why aren't you like halfway across the world right now? Yeah, like, you, you have be done. millions, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. Do we think that Parnell is just the the single head of this whole hitman operative? I'm assuming that it goes way deeper than just Parnell. I don't know. I yeah, think I think Parnell is enough. just like one source and then they were able to use him to extract additional information. But, but not enough to really matter because he could he could easily escape. Oh, no, I think he could escape like fucking day one and it could be totally fine. But if you are on some kind of crazy vengeance hunt or whatever, I, I it comes back to this guy is like kind of dumb. Like he maybe it's a thing where he's good at his maybe job. He's, he's dumb. Like he might just be just a dumb, uh, like you know. Sometimes a lot of dumb people can get good at their job if they do it for long enough, even if they aren't actually great. No, you. Can, I mean, you can be very good at following following a protocol while being stupid as fuck. That's called the military. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of has a little bit of Sorry. like military idea to it. Yeah, of course. Like that's how how. <laughs> 
It's you just, want me on that wall. I, you you need, need me on that wall. I actually did perceive that Charles Parnell is like the head of this op, whatever this operation is. Like I kind of did. Like he he works for like not you know he doesn't work for like the, he just goes some, like, like scouting like well, he's the main liaison <laughs> yeah like he doesn't like like scouting nyu law for like hey you seem kind of twisted yeah because <laughs> yeah this here. movie isn't really about like you know like the fucking the illuminati or like some big like mission impossible level conspiracy like organization right like, it's just, just like guy. yeah no he just works for this dude who like is based out of new orleans and like they make really good money like doing assassination stuff and it's like cool that you know they have a great operation and this going. poor woman has to uh, get her neck when broken. one that yeah i did want to she's awesome and yeah. she actually might be my favorite I, it, it's it's easy to give it she's to really her good. because she's the person that's really performing in the movie in terms of like showing emotions uh, oh uh carrie o'malley i it's the actress yeah wife of the absolute goat mike o'malley mm -hmm. host of what ho host of nickelodeon guts um oh my yeah. god Character she's a this uh, is huge she's a broadway person she was in a like into the woods mm -hmm. and uh, uh mike o'malley character in the good place um awesome actor uh obviously like a co-lead of yes dear which is a sitcom that i watched in its entirety as a it, child for some reason it, it's bad funny. show it's funny how like the moment where he kills her we're like, oh, he showed mercy. <laughs> He's like committing a murder. And the reaction we get as that we have as an audience is like, oh, he showed she, empathy. Well, <laughs> I actually. It's so fun. I, we're going back a bit. I really do love that whole sequence. I love the only time that you ever change perspective in the entire movie is whenever she is locked in the car and like her just like banging screaming to get out and just like please can you just make it look natural so my kids can get the life insurance money and so then he, he that's knows, a good point yeah he breaks her neck and then pushes her down the stairs so it looks like she has fell we're we're always with the killer there's very very few i think that's the only not. time where you break from his perspective yeah. otherwise like it is fully from fincher or from a uh, uh fassbender's yeah POV so so time. she's a great actress parnell I think I the the places I run into trouble in this movie are when people are monologuing at Fastbender. That just really so you, are you not as big on the Tilda? Sequence? Well, that's the thing. The only time that I love it is because Tilda is like she's good enough that it doesn't matter. Yeah, like Tilda, right. Tilda she is. Do it. Yeah, she's like a transcendent actress, yeah. and like her scenes in this, I couldn't like I wouldn't change a thing about what she's doing. It's just that type of interaction just stinks to me and it's in everything it's not this you know it's not this movie's fault it's mostly in plays but the idea of two people face to face and one of them is just talking and like almost like saying everything oh like saying what they think is going through the other one's brain and they're like right like that just that stinks of like smart writer syndrome like <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah. a writer writer who actually knows it all right like, right right that i don't like that um and it it bothered me in the charles parnell scene where it's like you're not letting these two actors act with each other well we also they're not need, they're not being allowed to act with each we other we need some type of exposition at some point in this movie because it's very very light on it and so i i guess that that sequence gets burdened with that for us to understand some type of backstory because they clearly this movie is not interested in giving us any I know, type of backstory i know it's just like 
you, you could have Fassbender r- respond a few times shortly. He's just staring. At He's him. not saying fucking anything. And think, even despite all that, Parnell, you know, Parnell I, just keeps on talking. And it's like, I've interacted with a lot of people in my whole life. And that's not how any interaction. No, goes. I think. I, have you interacted with a lot of assassins? Yes. <laughs> Brother, you podcast with one. Um, no, I think that that's like I, the whole thing about this movie, and as it's kind of sat with me, is just like, and another reason why I want to rewatch it is because this feels very subjective. This all feels not just from Fassbender's POV from the audience perspective, but from a storytelling perspective, we are seeing things as they are happening at Fassbender and his interpretation of things that are happening, which. I know if you have a problem with the writing of the scenes that doesn't like excuse writing uh, faults, but that's almost the way that I look at the way that the dialogue is written because it's a very specific choice that is being made with the monologuing that's happening, whether it's internal or external. The way that people talk is not like how normal people have a conversation in this world, but it feels like a person recollecting back on the spark notes of what was said to them and the the conversation that they had. That's definitely in like in a previous. No, that's that's a good point. And it's it's probably, you know, it, it was a pre-existing pet peeve of mine. And so, you know, maybe it, it doesn't ring. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't ring as true for everybody. It's just when I'm watching an actor as good as Fassbender act in a scene where you he, want a little he could more. be saying right. something <laughs> and he's just, it's just nothing. Yeah. I'm I, frustrated. I, I do think it is kind of like a fun challenge. I, I, it, you know, this late into Fincher's career for him to give us something that's so pared back, you know, kind of so minimalistic as minimalistic as it was, Fincher can be, Yeah, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a podcast, that, a podcast that shall not be named. I think they were even quoting someone else, but they they called it like his Soderbergh movie. And that sure. makes the most sense of anything yeah, to me. Absolutely. Because, yeah, because Soderbergh just like shits out movies. Yeah. And well, Fincher and Soderbergh are also and, like boys. Like yeah. they like will help edit each but other's like, movies. But like timeline wise, for Fincher to make a movie in like two and a half years, that is him just shitting yeah. out a movie. And that's still- for, for him, like that's Soderbergh's like two months. Yeah. Is his two years. <laughs> right. You know? So like this is his like quick movie. <laughs> and and even still there's so many instances where you you're just mind blown at the amount of detail. Uh, apparently the the wide shot of the building in Paris when he's lining up the shot like that's a full VFX composite. Mm-hmm. Like y- that is not a shot of a building. That is all digitally rendered and multiple sets, multiple singles of rooms just spliced together into a It's a, a wider shot. No, there, yeah, there's still stuff like that. And I visually, I really appreciated what he was doing a lot of time. In particular, it was all the fact that so much of this movie is shrouded in darkness and yet you completely see what's going on. Yes. And you're not, it's not drawing attention to how shitty it looks. Like that's, that is a feat of technology and of ingenuity on David Fincher's He's part playing, as man. a man. Like just him. He's been doing this shit for 20 years. Yeah. Think about something like Panic Room, which is not a great movie by any means, but that is a movie that the technological, knows perfectly how yeah, to it's shoot just like he himself. The entire movie is like the lights are out. Yeah. Right now. He has crafted the ability <laughs> yeah. to do this out of nothing. And so that's awesome. However, I just think like a shot like that, for example, where like it's just entirely, you know, VFX. 
if if he had just shot a building and put all the energy that he put into making all those VFX into like something else, maybe the movie could have been a little. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, are are we maybe losing a little bit of the you know the true potential of the movie based on what he's focusing his attention? Well, because he he wants to control every every pixel. Yeah. That you see. Like, that's why. Yeah. That's why he does when, that. Yeah. When in the past he has done, and I'm sure he did with this movie as well, but he has put just as much energy into zillions of rewrites yeah. on his scripts. Yeah. And, and shooting a hundred takes. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and doing the million takes. It's just this movie in particular, certain, certain chunks of the script really just struck me as like, I don't think there were a ton of passes on this. I, you know, I'm really really interested in what fincher chooses to do next uh he has nothing lined up at all um so i mean really mine hunter yeah uh, mine hunter apparently is never coming back the fuck ted sarandos um so that's that's a bummer but like i'm interested to see where he goes because on one hand one one hand two has been announced just now breaking news oh my god are you breaking news right now did he get the credit is he back for more credit? It's a prequel. Um, it's, oh my god! <laughs> um, no, but <laughs> speaking of Mank, like while this movie, I do think acts as a bit of a reset and a bit of a return to form for what Fincher is. One thing that I I, I talked about at the time, whenever Mank was coming out, that I do genuinely like memes aside for Mank is that that is probably Fincher's most effective. It's his most emotional movie. And I do wonder if by doing something like The Killer, that's more of a sign that he's going to go back to the cold, callous nature that he's probably best known for. And I mean, he's one of the best. I'm not going to say like, I don't want him to make any more movies because he's one of the fucking goats that we have working right now. But I also don't want him to necessarily lose the emotionality that he has because i think that he can do emotionality well when the material is provided to him now again fincher doesn't write his own scripts he's not a writer director in the same way that a lot of the other auteurs that we talk about all the time in this podcast are and so a lot of it comes down to what is the source material that he is what are the options and he I mean, he does like his own writing specifically with the the staging and with the performances yeah. that he gets, and he, and but he not makes, with the source material. Yeah. And that's where I just like, can we, I, I mean, I don't want to pair up with fucking being the Ricardo Sorkin now, but like, I want him to social find network a, well, social network two is like the long rumor thing, but I want him to find some other creative partner that can pull out all of the best aspects of fincher well it's one of those it's weird because he's such a good director but his best movies are overwritten because yeah. social network is way overwritten gone zodiac zodiac is way overwritten gone girl is one of my favorite yeah. movies mm-hmm. ever it's super overwritten like shitloads of narration like it, it, it's a good fit so many words he needs yeah. that yet visually he's so effective it's so it's just a he matter of smart people and writing yeah. about like smart people talking smartly yeah and it's just put my boy up with mike flanagan can we have a mike flanagan david fincher film <laughs> give it to great. me right that's now weird. i'm here for it who says no it's mike flanagan anyway <laughs> yeah he um direct <laughs> it it's just 
I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating because this movie is a movie that's about a very isolated character. So it makes sense for him to not interact with people. However, I think that the script suffers because he doesn't, I guess, you know what I mean? And I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think Fincher is capable of, of showing more when there are fireworks between people. Like he's good at showing, right. you know, he's good at showing dynamics and how conversations evolve. Like there, you know, in that every frame of painting video about Fincher way back in the day, back when that guy made videos like 10 years ago, <laughs> like he talks about how in seven, the, a conversation scene, like the angle of every shot evolves as the power dynamic evolves mm -hmm. between Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt and like the police chief or whoever, like he can do all of that on top of what he's good at that you see in the killer. And I was just missing a layer in the killer. And I still think the killer rocks. Yeah, I, I agree. But I also think that on the rewatch, it'll definitely hold up. It will. And I yeah, it definitely will. And I like I said, I think I think the layer of it being about modernity is so cool. And yeah. that's going to that's well, the, that is going to hold up really great. The, there's two points I wanted to hit on that before we we wrap up. Number one, the Arles Howard character, this the client, like there's something that pays off with that sequence that's set up at the very beginning where he's doing the big monologue where he talks about how X number of people die every day or every year and mm -hmm. that his one assassination is just a rounding error in the, the full statistical roundup of deaths right. in any given time frame, right? When you have that uh, bit of, of, of narration tying to the client at the end, it it it's brings to life this idea. I, I don't remember if it's actually spoken in the text of the movie, but the type of person that this guy is, the actions that he's taking are directly leading to hardship and oppression and death. Like that that's just how it works. Like he he has all his fucking stocks and shit up and going on his computer, and that's who this guy is. Like he is a billionaire who feeds off of people, you know, lower in the social status than yeah. him. So it, it, it's it's a direct connection from the killer talking about just the the rounding errors to this guy being like, oh, I don't know who the fuck you are. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea about what my actions are have the ripple effects that my actions have on the world it's exactly that and and it, and it just it's it's one final nail on the coffin of this this full concept that this movie has about how brutal our modern reality is and how easy it is for these types of people to take advantage of how easy it is to, to infiltrate the the capitalist system that we built. Yeah. Like there's almost, yeah. there's like almost a black mirror episode buried yeah. in this movie. Like if, exactly. if you wanted to really exacerbate all those yeah. little, it's like points. Uber, like you can Uber an assassin essentially. Yeah. Like you click on your fucking phone kill and you don't have to think about it. You have to look at anybody. You don't have to talk to anybody and it just happens. What if you could buy a murder on Amazon? Exactly. Oh. Well, that was the other thing I was going to bring up is I literally just looked it up you can you can buy the key fob copier. I yeah. I see it right now. It's seventeen dollars 
on Amazon. You just, the key fob. How that set up? Just go to a Dropbox near you. It's right here. I could I could do it. Yeah, it's, it's real. real. It's all it like that's you know it's something that doesn't draw a ton of focus in the movie, and yet it could because it's a really juicy fucking idea. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I said Black Mirror because Black Mirror like is so heavy handed. It would kind of and run like, it into the ground. Yeah, idea, but um, but yeah, no, there. So there's so much you can grab onto in this movie. It's just like quieter than typical, and so if if you were just like a person who just wanted to put on a movie, I. I would get if you put this on and you were like, I get like, this is good, but am I missing something here? Because, you know, it's, this is one of the greats. I, I do want to show to Lee just so she can see this, uh, the storage unit organization. Oh man. That is <laughs> the labeling incredible. The, like I, I just want her to see that. So, cause I know that's going to, it's going to get her horny. So. Yeah. It's just the night will go from there. Can you can you give us giggity? What the fuck is that? That's like a ringtone. You gotta give. Giggity, giggity, giggity. I forgot she the old Christ. I know what you just played for us, but that was not it. It was the stock, the stock sounds. What is that supposed to be used to get like to represent? It sounded like um almost like the GameCube intro. Okay, last thing, last thing, last thing. The epilogue of him sipping on the the drink in back in in dr yeah and he's like not actually happy do we think that he stays there longer than 24 hours uh i'm glad that you said that because i the thing i was thinking like there's no way this guy has a happy life i don't know if it's 24 hours but is it like a week i think and he gets back to work i think i think he stays there for a month because you got to think she has to recover. She is so dedicated to him that she was like, she was so proud to tell him like, oh, I didn't say anything to them. Don't worry, baby. You know what I mean? And that meanwhile, there's mean, another movie that is like seeing her broken ass perspective of yeah. all this. Yeah, because like, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like whatever interactions have happened in between them, we can't really assume that he's been charming her. <laughs> Like he's a fucking not weirdo. Seeing, yeah, not seeing a lot of charisma from this guy. Yeah, so it's like, oh, she's so head over heels that I know he feels bad enough that he'll stay for a month and then he'll be like, listen, funds are getting low. Go to work. Uh, he he'll he makes us some lie about oh they're charging us like property taxes now and so I actually need money so I'm gonna go kill like a senator. <laughs> <laughs> Well, think, he's not getting paid. He's do we does think, he have a boss anymore? Is he is like killing for pleasure now? Do we think he gets hired to kill George Santos? <laughs> do you think that he killed Henry Kissinger? No, that guy was done. No, <laughs> no one needed to off him. Oh, there's nothing. There's nothing needed for that. No, yeah, no one's. <laughs> you you know a guy. I'm not. I'm not changing topics. <laughs> You know, a guy is is really old when he's like that evil and no one is claiming conspiracy when he dies. Yeah, (laughs) especially it's an old Republican. People are like, yeah, he was just kind of old as shit. So that's just what happens. He he broke a hundred, right? Yeah. People are like, God, that's fucked. People are like, God damn it. Why? Satan really keeps the the bad ones alive for longer. I've been following a Twitter account called like, is Henry Kissinger alive for like like three years? How, How did they take the news? 
Um, I mean, it was a big day. Now you can. It was celebration was it like all around. Tweeting like ah ah quote Henry Kissinger burning in hell. <laughs> I bet whoever runs that account is low key kind of, you know, they're like ah, what do I do now? Yeah, you can't just keep posting like he's dead every day. <laughs> they're tuned. like, I got to pivot. Is uh, Jimmy Carter alive? No, that won't work. Um, that's that's Tim Heidegger. Tim Heidegger posts. Every month he posts like an update that's like Jimmy Carter. Yeah, no, no status. <laughs> status, status update. No update. <laughs> it's he's it's, still going. Man. I know. Well, it's because he's gonna die really soon. Did he uh, so at, at his wife's funeral. <laughs> yeah, he looks really fucking old. Yeah, he's a billion uh, well. years old. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right, that's David Fincher's The Killer. Good movie. What the deuce? Yeah. Will it make my top 10? I don't think so. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like you guys are, not. you guys won't say one bad thing about it. And yet it's not making lists. It's well, it's like right on the edge. I yeah, but like That's it. not great. It's in the teens. Here's the thing. It's in the top 15. Am I taking fucking crazy pills? Here? It's in the top 15. You have not, neither of you have said one fucking negative thing that's about not true. this movie. I've been saying, I've been saying bad things about it. I think it's a I great said, movie. It's not as good as Mank. I said it needed more Mank. <laughs> It's just this, and that makes it like a bottom five. This movie is how I year. feel about the discourse around this movie is like you're you can't like I, I'm not hearing anyone say negative things. And yet no one is giving well, it like because top, it's, top a, tier. it's a David Fincher movie. I think. Yeah, because it's think, not that great. I see. I disagree. Well, I think that it's, well, you don't disagree because otherwise it would be your number one fucking movie of the year. It's that's, not that great. No, it's I, not great enough to be your number we one. We just did a whole thing about like poor things in May, December, which I think are, are all like exceptional movies. Yeah, I don't think this movie better. Is, I don't think this movie is exceptional. And I'm not putting it all in Fincher. Like I said, I think there are real problems with this fucking script, man. It's an eight out of ten. That's a great movie. That's Yeah. Exactly. That's you know what? That's kind of where I'm at. And that puts it in the teens. I watch a lot of fucking movies, Drew. For a movie to be in the teens is not a bad thing. I know, but also for an eight out of ten, you guys aren't critiquing it enough. I said a bunch of bad things. Are you this whole time I've I'm been just saying, saying I'm uh, I think people I've are scared to muted on people stuff. are scared to critique David Fincher because he's so good. But I, this movie is here's in, the thing is not his fucking best. I've said Zodiac needed more mank. I have said that. <laughs> That's true. Social Ernie, network needed more Mank. What's your excuse, Ernie? Hunter said plenty. I've I mean, said Mank had a good amount of Mank, and that's why it was my number eleven movie of twenty twenty. You talk to me when I've watched it on one point two five. Okay. <laughs> I do think no. I think one of the things about this movie why it's I don't I'm not saying it's beyond criticism because I don't think any movie is beyond criticism. It's just missing some fucking oomph. I think that this movie is like I said it before. It's a B movie that's acting on like the top tier in the same way i have like the same number of criticisms for this that i would for like john wick chapter four a movie that i also really like and i think that that's operating on a great thing i also think that there's a ceiling on what it can be and i think there's a ceiling on what the killer is that isn't to say that it isn't like a rewatchable fun movie but i also don't think it's like the defining movie of 2023 it's just hard i guess because Part of what defines this character is that he's a sociopath. So and, what? You're at like a four out of ten. Or and yet, gonna, uh, if you were to make him a little bit less opaque, the movie would be better. It would. It just more or less the Smiths. Do you keep the same number of Smith songs? I think that you make it 
like three Smith songs and the rest of it is like Smith's orbit bands because there, there are a lot of bands. I think it's hilarious that he only listens to I know. To it's so funny. That it's is funny really funny. Because really, what is this movie if not a movie about an autistic guy? <laughs> Listen, I mean, he, is, a, a, he has two it's special interests. It's He's a sociopath. He's a murderer. Are you saying that one, a drive, two things. Uh, one, are you saying that all autistic people have the capacity to be serial killers and two are you saying that he has two special interests one is the smiths and two is no killing people? i'm saying that all smiths fans are serial killers okay all right <laughs> i'm saying that michael fassbender who quit acting to become a race car driver is autistic <laughs> <laughs> how's his uh, f1 career going <laughs> All right, this movie falls at number six in my Fincher ranking. I just looked it up. I go Social Network, Zodiac, Gone Girl, Fight Club 7, Killer. And then what? Dragon Tattoo, Mank, Benjamin Button, Alien Game, Panic Room, which I haven't seen. I just put them at the bottom because I haven't seen them. Um, I think, okay, so I don't have the Fincher so it's, it's rankings. It's in the middle, you know? It's right there. Um, let, me pull, let me pull up the Fincher rankings real it's quick. It's not okay. in the top five. I don't. I will place it in real time right now. I would put this behind Zodiac. I would put this behind Social Network. I would put this behind Gone Girl. I would put this behind Seven. I'd put this behind Fight Club. Yeah, that's, that's I think, what I said. I think, I, said. I think I might put this behind Mank. This is like on Mank tier for me. <laughs> this is ahead of the game it's ahead of panic room it's ahead of edge of a button hey da i listen i really like the make the I, make era I really that, wish, that he's entering right now i wish there was in Mank, he had actually said, I want credit. So he could have that. He does. Time. He <laughs> does. You were watching it too fast. He says it. You missed it. That's, Gary Oldman said it on stage at the Oscars. He said, I, I want credit. He did not go on stage. He went he there. He never won anything. He was there. He hosted. Mank hosted the Oscars. You don't remember. You forgot he was there. He hosted in the Soderbergh year. We have to wrap it up. Thank you for listening to the killer, David Fincher. So you're gonna, you have to keep that on the soundboard forever. I I kind of want to do the whole, the entire like theme. It seems today you just that put, all you see, and we just like sit here silently for thirty and seconds nervous. and like look at each other. Yeah, we're just like. <sighs> What way with those good old fashioned values? Drew, do you think this is worse than Mank? It's worse than Mank, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can go and wrap. I'd rather watch this than Mank. Absolutely. That's why he made it. I think. (laughs) You shouldn't have said that. I think this is on the Mank. I think this might be lower than Mank. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, like, and comment. Let us know your thoughts on The Killer. Check out webottomike.net where you can get every episode delivered in your inbox. Join the Discord. Join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash webottomike. Thank you, Run P, for sponsoring this episode. Where would you where would you go P during the killer? It's on Netflix, so you could just pause it. Or you could just leave it running. Well, you can't pee at the very end of the movie. Is it do you pee during Charles Parnell stuff? 
Because I'm not leaving. I'm not peeing during Florida. You could you could pee early in Florida and be back in time. Okay. For the good yeah, stuff. yeah. You know what? You as could soon run, as you see you Florida, you could go run pee. That's I mean, there are also a lot of sort of transitory scenes because the, one of the good things about the movie is it, it does a lot of like quick quick montage work of showing you how he gets from place to place. You could pee during one of those. That's true. Of him like him figuring out where the taxi guy is. That's a minute. You could go piss. Yeah. Absolutely. I take a quick piss. Next week, um, it's oh my god, I'm thinking <laughs> on Field the, of Dreams. A, no, that's not what it's called. A League of Their, league own. Of their own. A League of Their Own. City of Angels. And uh, we will also hit you with the firm before the end of the year. There will probably be a little more ketchup. Wonka is coming. Okay. Wonka is important, mm-hmm. and we will talk about Wonka on this podcast. Oh. So help me God, Ernest. I'm I'm gonna talk about fucking Wonka. <laughs> okay, you so, know I'm gonna talk about Twonka. I don't know about you guys. Cruise, a little Hanks, mm-hmm. and a big old Wonka. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Happy holidays. <laughs> yes. Eat up some chocolates. Eat up some candy. Twally Twinka. <laughs> And then we'll come back in the new year with our best of 2023. Thank you all. Thanks for sticking around. We love you. Bye. Bye. Giggity, giggity, go. Giggity, giggity, go.